when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Good internet, welcome to day three of Waypoint Radio's coverage of E3 2019. Coming to you live. No, not this time. We're not. We're, there's no Periscope. What, what does live mean? There's no really. YouTube like when we're video. recording it, it's live. We're alive. Are we? Or is this just fantasy? Final mm-hmm. Fantasy Seven remake. We talked about that yesterday. Sorry. Today we're sharing mics right now, so, yeah, so I the audio, if the audio into, is weird. I need you need to <laughs> lean into Austin's face to interrupt him. I'm backing out. We have two microphones. We have this entire set that we've been using all week packed up, put into Danica's car, and then shuttled away to Venice to Vice HQ LA, where Kato is returning it right now. So Kato just canceled his car he was going to rent then? No. Okay. I, we, you know what? I should text him. I think he's going to pick up that car right now. I'm not going to text don't him. Worry, it's don't fine. worry. Don't worry. Kato can figure it out. Kato's an adult. Rob Zachney also here. Hey, what's up, everybody? Can you lean in a little closer? Can you make that mic maybe right in the middle between you two? Right now, it's leaning towards Patrick. <laughs> wow. Power move, Rob Zachney. Turned it. Just picked it up. Yeah. Just is holding the microphone. Is this, is this better? Like an old radio man. I should sound clearer, right? You sound great. great. Hi. Oh, uh, Who was the little sorry. bird? Is there a little bird? Oh, no, in we're here? getting some background noise. Yeah, you want to move it over a little bit more? Yeah. Hi, Rob. Hey, how's it going? Good. There's a game we've been punting. So, real quick, we're gonna try to make this a quick one. We're gonna try to move through stuff fairly quickly. Uh, it's the last day. We're all exhausted, and also we have to go be on a screen, and, a l- we're, and we're gonna have like an actual night to do stuff, to rest, or do whatever you want. Nap, and then eat, and then go. And maybe what we'll end up doing is a pod after e3 where it's like hey i wish you guys would have spent more time talking about this game is there anything else you have to say right because things are gonna get slow for a little while here and so like it may it'll be a thing where like we'll do like a fan request e3 postmortem with like questions that people have about that so you can send those to gaming advice.com already and we'll we'll dig into those next time for now though rob uh we've been kicking we've been punting vampire the masquerade bloodlines 2 down the road hoping that i'd be able to sneak in and get uh, some eyes on it i did not uh, okay. So tell me about uh, Bloodlines 2. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to need your help a little bit because you're going to know lore and context that uh, I just missed. Right. But the first thing I would say off the bat is that this was clearly a really early demo. Okay. And so if you're sitting at home and you've seen some footage coming out that like the game looks bad, 
It kind of does. Like right. it looks bad in the way that like prototypes often do and like early alphas often do. Uh, a lot of the like combat feels really weightless uh, right now because it's not really finished or tuned. Uh, there were kind of, like a lot of camera glitches that happened during the demo that like made everything feel uh, super fish-eyed almost. It was a, it was huh. a, it was a, tough uh guided demo to 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 really watch and figure out what the end game is going to feel like uh but in terms of like what's there it looks also very much like it's in that classic uh 90s first person rpg mo uh you know mode of deus ex games uh of vampire mm -hmm. so from that standpoint it looks very much of a piece with those but just really early in development. I wouldn't actually read anything into the footage you see right now uh, because it was clearly like such a work in progress. It is out next year, right? Yeah, and if I remember correctly, it's like early-ish next year. Early, they've March? They, yeah, they've, it's not like something like, oh, this is... I mean, this, may, this would not shock me if this was the kind of game that was like said to come out in March and then and we're playing it in right. August. Yeah, it's, it's scheduled for Steam March 2020. So... They have some time to to work on this. What was the demo like? Like, what was the what was the thing that they walked you through? Yeah, this is uh, hands off to be clear. Yeah. Uh, so to begin with, the premise for this game is that you are a new, newly created vampire, what's called a thin blood, and apparently, in the world of vampire you can't just create vampires. Like, it's just not allowed. Like, every time you create a vampire, they're going to be around for, like, a millennia. Yeah, so, it's like a big like, deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, basically, like, you got to get your permits. Uh, you got to <laughs> get your license for vampire creation. Problem, somebody did, we talked about this on the pod the other day, there was, like, a, mass, a massive attack that instantly converted, like, thousands of people into being vampires. And, basically, it's created this, like, there's a bunch of orphan thin bloods in the world because it you know if they're all bespoke and like you it's all permitted somebody guides right you're like a mentor basically you're yeah. someone who sired you and then like they're the person their job is to show you the ropes or they're supposed to at least you know uh figure out the process is going to be and here the vampire like status quo the powers that be have collectively taken the approach that these people don't belong to anybody so fuck them and there's a camarilla has done this they don't normally that's that's the thing everybody's denying responsibility apparently oh, like boy. so it's a it's a massive like radical act of terrorism of sort of overturning the political status what, quo has the masquerade fallen no it's still in place okay so there are suddenly Can you explain what that means yeah so so the so first of all i'm someone who i haven't played a, a game in the world of darkness setting and probably 15 years but i was like deep into world of darkness which was a collection of games made by white wolf uh back in this big in the 80s 90s especially the 90s and then early 2000s um really interestingly it's a it was a world that ended like there was an end timed event that was called gehenna that was like all of the various franchises came to a close those franchises were like the, the most popular was vampire the masquerade werewolf the apocalypse there was also stuff like um uh, uh mage the awakening i want to say which believe it or not was a big uh influence on the matrix movies um like in terms of the way that like the they framed um like the agents like that's a game about people who have special powers who are policed by a technocracy very cool um 
Wraith, a bunch of these things. They were all like changeling, really cool. Uh, all sorts of like really unique settings that felt very, if you like the work of, um, like, uh, Vertigo, at the time, Vertigo Comics Sandman, uh, or Neil Gaiman in general, um, if you like the work of, of some of like Terry Pratchett's less Discworld stuff and more kind of real world fantasy stuff. Um, if you liked, in fact, if you liked, if you were someone who went on to like stuff like, Buffy or the Dresden Files, stuff like that, you would probably have loved the 80s and 90s era White Wolf stuff because it was just like soaking in atmosphere and, and stuff. And one of the key ideas in the Vampire the Masquerade game was this idea of the Masquerade, which was a uh, a system of rules uh, that everyone who was part of the Camarilla was supposed to follow. The Camarilla was like, I wouldn't say the good guy vampires, but they were like the vamp, they were the, the group that was about managing um, the desires of uh, the instincts of those who'd become vampires and the clans that were willing to agree that the best thing for all of us is to keep ourselves in check and kind of police ourselves. And so it was kind of an organizational unit and a governing body. And it set up a thing called the masquerade. And the, the key rule of the masquerade is like, hey, motherfucker, don't let people know there's vampires. Like, and don't use your powers in public and do all these things that like make sure that while we retain control of the world and we're like moving around in the shadows and maybe we secretly run the city, no one should know that the people who secretly run the city secretly drink people's blood. Do people just, they've somehow managed to actually keep that a secret? Yes. Uh, they're, yes, basically. The, the masquerade hasn't fallen, right? Like, and there's a moment. Oh, so that's what you mean by that. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a moment in, in that era of, of uh, vampire where like, that could happen. A whole city could find out. And then, like, drastic action was taken. Uh, there's also a group called the Sabbat, which is, like, filled with clans. They're like, you know what? Fuck that. Like, I don't give a fuck about your, like, laws and are willing to make – they're willing to be quiet at, at moments. They're willing to, like, keep their, their presence less known because they know it's risky, but are not willing to, like, abide by the greater rules of the Camarilla and are often at, at, at in a sort of cold war against them. And also they're performing things that are, like – had traditionally been framed as like darker magics, darker blood magic, or, you know, changing their bodies in ways that the kind of stuck up Camarillan clans would like roll their eyes at or think were like inhuman or something. That's like the basics of it. The Camarilla were very much like, we need to keep our humanity. And the Sabbat were like, we are not humans. Chill. <laughs> Let me grow cool, weird claws, you know? Um, which I'm curious if that stuff shows up in this demo at all. A little bit. The powers that I saw, like what I saw in terms of powers is very much uh, reminiscent of uh, Don't Nod's Vampire uh, okay. from last year, sure. where like lots of blood magic, lots of like AOE attacks, uh, people getting stabbed with like spikes of blood that was summoned from the ground. <laughs> so Tremere? Vampire shit. Uh, yeah, it was Tremere. Okay, Tremere are like the blood mages and the Camarilla. It's what, what faction do you think I would pick? Well, well you, you, I believe based on the email, you had a choice. Yeah. It was the Bruja or the Tremere, right? Yeah. Or Tremere? I never remember. I've read a lot of these books and played with players who've also read books. We don't know how the designers wrote the thing. Um, the Bruja are like framed Anarchist as Anarchist like, bikers in Anarchist this world. bikers who have kind of like not animal control powers, but like strength they're kind of framed as animalistic and like more quote unquote tribal in nature. This is a game from the you 80s. You know how and in 90s. Twilight the vampires just love to get together and show their strength and like do epic shit together. Like play baseball. But like big baseball. Big baseball. Softball. That's a big baseball. It is okay. But, Not Dynamax baseball. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, do do the Brujas have like? Is there any Latin yes. coding? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, but like, well, 
you never know. You never know. But also, Vampire the Masquerade is a world that like also has Vampire the Dark Ages, where some of these clans are ancient. They go back to the times of Rome, pre-Dark Ages. Some of them are fairly recent. It's a game that absolutely, when the tabletop game was like big in the '90s, had bunch of had a bunch of racist shit in it, like the Asamite clan, which were assassins, which were like Arabic assassins, and often framed as being like terrorists, specifically in gross ways. There was there was a reprinting a few years ago that had some cool stuff in it, including they hired a trans writer to speak specifically about the, the Chimise or Chimise clan, which is this clan about reconfiguring your body and changing your body, and who wrote about that clan in a way that was not about like vilifying them for, for changing their bodies. The last two years of White Wolf stuff has not been good. It wound up in the hands, and I'm not talking about this game, I'm talking about the tabletop game, wound up in the hands, Paradox put it in the hands of some people who had a lot of, let's say, hard right uh, fascist slash crypto fascist shit in that game. Um, That team, I believe, has since been pulled off of it, and it's been given back to a group that is like a lot more chill and uh, a little bit a little bit less like on the fringes a, a known quantity people who know people who've published games that are like actually decent so i will say if you're listening believe me i know about that shit i'm glad that it's not in their hands anymore i'm hoping that the bloodlines team is aware of that shit and is actually like doing a good job of defining their own version of some of that stuff um and i don't know like it's good <laughs> because yeah. it's it is stuff that like because of the way vampires and monsters get used as metaphors, you can fuck that up. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the metaphors that seem like really front-loaded here, uh, so the the crisis facing the world of vampire in this game is that you have all these newly created vampires who don't know anything about what they're doing. Uh, they don't know the rules, but also... One of the things they brought up a lot is you're also dealing with a lot of people who are just massively psychologically traumatized. Like the like a lot of this game sounds like it's going to hinge on questions of five minutes ago you were a normal person, like living a normal life. And now, like, were you married with a family? Well, they're gonna die. You're gonna live forever. So what does that mean? Are you gonna try to fake it? Like right. like pretend right. this didn't happen. The obvious and touchstone here that I left out before is Anne Rice. As someone who was like in high school reading Anne Rice vampire books and then got to college, I was so excited that I finally got to play Vampire the Masquerade. So so uh, a lot of these folks have just been completely abandoned by like the vampire hierarchies and they're, they're not being taken by the clans. Nobody's providing help. For whatever reason, your character uh, is somewhat privileged in that there's actually a lot of interest in your character. This is not explained why, but there is mm. a lot of interest from the various factions about how you get brought up in vampire society and who you end up aligning with. This isn't explained. Okay. Uh, in That's convenient. Yeah, I mean, it could just be, we need a tutorial. Uh but yeah, it's. I'm sure that you receive. Here's my my pitch as the GM. My, as, sorry, the storyteller uh, of of this game would be that like you were actually sired by some secretly incredibly powerful vampire, but under the cover of this mass awakening, this this mass siring, so that they could sneak you out and like blah blah blah. Oh, you're very like Percy Jackson right, type right, right, situation right. where it's like we're not supposed to create one from this bloodline, yeah, but we but totally here we did. did. Yeah. Uh. So. Also, yeah, if you're uncomfortable with the idea of, like, powerful bloodlines. Uh-oh. Yeah. The name of the game. It's right there. 
yeah, so in terms of what they showed, you are doing a quest uh, for one of the more established uh, factions. It might have been Camarilla, as a matter of fact. Almost certainly. Uh, but they were very haughty. They were very much like, do what we tell you, don't ask questions, bring us this guy, and we're going to whack him because mm-hmm. uh, he stepped out of line. And so just get it done, and you'll stay on our good side. But if you don't, then things are going to get tough for you. And then in order to launch on that quest, what you're dealing with is this guy who is like very much like keeping a low profile. He's kind of an informer. And the people who know where he's at are the Nosferatu, who are apparently a faction that... In general, they're kind of recognized for looking more monstrous. Uh, they tend to be how a vampire is created is an embrace, and uh, what they're calling this this disaster, this crisis, is the mass embrace. But right. uh, there's like sort of your more traditional vampire movie, like sort of sensual embrace, like the bite of the neck, and like it leaves no marks. Then they're apparently like more violent uh, and destructive ones, and you bear the marks of those forever. And the Nosferatu are people who had a like just a vicious embrace and are kind of like marked by that forever. And the metaphors are troubling, mm-hmm. uh, but you go their their solution is we kind of like live underground and we also keep tabs on everybody. They're kind of the information yeah. like brokers of this universe. And when you go to them, they give you information about where this dude Slug is hiding. But then they say, and this, this was fun, as, as the guy says, he's a piece of shit, but he's just barely our <laughs> piece of shit. And so we would really appreciate it if you bring him to us and we will help you like cover up the fact that you didn't kill him. Well, the camera will never know. And so you have multiple, like, who are you going to align with here? And this is where, like, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Apparently, these choices, in terms of what I saw, it looked mostly stylistic, right? Very much Liberty Island, Deus Ex. Like, are you going to go through the vents or are you going to blow open the front doors? But in terms of the effects of these choices, what uh, the writing team there, Car uh, Ellison and uh, Brian, Brian Mitsoda, Mitsoda yeah. were talking about is that these are going to be actually pretty significant choices that will alter like significantly alter uh both your relationships with factions but also just how the story unfolds and it was tough to parse because everybody talks about how much choice is going to be in their game but you know as we were talking about yesterday if those choices are going to mean something then you're creating a much more expensive like that tree gets expensive right if like you're actually changing the arc of the story significantly with these choices then you're building a different game, essentially, along these these forks. And I sort of asked about what that looks like. How do, how do we approach this? Is it your vampire? Is it, uh, you know, is it your story where you have, like, your shepherd Mass Effect? Mm-hmm. Or is it more of a situation where, like in interactive fiction, the way you're really kind of meant to understand the story and engage with it is as a set of possibilities that could have happened. Right. That each tells you something about its world. It was interesting. Kara had a different answer than Mitsoda. Huh. And it, it like it wasn't 
It wasn't an unpleasant disagreement, but they definitely seem to have a slightly differing view on this. Uh, also, they're two writers of a different generation from one another. Right. And so it was just kind of an interesting tension in that for Kara, uh, her touchstone was kind of interactive fiction. And she seemed very interested in this idea of, oh, you make different choices, play it back. You'll see something different and that will tell you more about the world. Um, and so it seemed a little more interested in the more traditional, like, you have your branch, you follow it. They were a little cagey about how significant those choices were, but one of the things they seemed really committed to is this idea that choices ripple out into the world. And so one of them is that as a vampire, you got to feed. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire feeding system that like you, like people have different flavors of blood. And so it's like somebody's got like high C and somebody like it was like well, this is like in vampire the game last year from uh don't nod in which uh when when you fed you were getting experience points the experience points fell into uh filled in the skill system and the more you learn like you pulled up a character and their blood got more expensive or more rich you got more experience points the more you learned about them no explanation for why, why except that like eat the rich well <laughs> that's what it, that's what it means right Except it could also just be like just anyone on the street. And it was just like, <laughs> as you learned more about them, it turned into a, uh, yeah, it was like you needed to have the whole sommelier speech about where the blood came from. <laughs> what it was. And there's a little bit of that here. Well, the way it was explained to me, and you know more about it, I'm sure, uh, vampires don't feel like we do. And they kind of miss human emotions with their highs yeah. and lows. Yeah. And so what they look for in blood isn't just, oh, I want, I want blood. I want blood from someone who has like, these feelings coursing through them. And it's kind of like, it's very much a a drug metaphor. Like vampires are getting high off people's emotions. Yeah. Uh, But the thing is you can do a little sippy sippy and just like sort of leave people and they're like, well, what happened? They're fine. It's like you donated blood. Uh, Or you can just like, just squeeze that Capri sun out and just go (laughs) like, and then, you know, you hear the hollow sound Uh and just like toss it aside. Yeah. Problem is, if you do that, uh, you're kind of breaking masquerade. But also, if you do it like on a large enough scale, people start figuring out that there's something bad in the night, and the like feeding economy of this game starts to get tight. Other vampires in the world, they were talking about like there are other vampires out there who also need to do vampire oh, shit, right? And so, if things start going wrong in the world, there will be like global pressures that sound like they'll be brought to bear on everyone. So you will find like. Nobody's out at night in Seattle anymore. Other vampires out there looking for food. So are you, but mm-hmm. there's no fucking people. Right. And so then things get very fraught. And that, like, so think about how that can map to story decisions. Sure. Like, there's interesting there's possibilities. Ways that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also it does further raise that question of how much can you branch the story versus how much you're going to get right. the appearance that- of choice and bring it back to... Does that like put NPCs in different places and cause factions to move differently and cause stories to unfold differently? Or is it harder to heal? And also when you talk to the NPC, they go, you know, uh, quiet night out there tonight, huh? Before they go into their normal dialogue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, you go find the guy and there's an entire chase through the sewers. You're going through a lot of like... uh, Homeless camps, uh, you know, under underground uh, clubs, stuff like that. Very vampire stuff. But also, like, one of the things that's really running through this, there, there's two things that uh, Mitsoto is sort of at pains to uh, highlight. One is that in the world of vampire, 
it is sort of a setting, like a unified setting, but also it kind of depends city by city where you're locating the campaign. Yeah. So Seattle follows different rules than other places. And he's like, this game's about Seattle. Like, this is very much a game about the anxieties of, like, having lived in Seattle for years and years and then seeing the city changing really rapidly. Right. With an influx of a particular type of uh, business and, uh, you know, billionaire. Big tech has rolled into Seattle. Right. And so, to a degree, on the one hand, there's both metaphors, there's there's analogs for this in Vampire Society that we're going to see in the game, but also... This game is actually set in kind of real Seattle, and so the real world, you know, outside the, uh, you know, the mortal world is dealing with the same stuff that Seattle is dealing with right now. Right. So, to a degree, like, it's not just, from what it sounds like, it's not just these homeless camps are there as, like, decoration or flavor, but this is very much a game about the people who have been suddenly displaced by massive sea changes in their society and support systems not being there, uh, which sounds cool. Um, and they were cagey about like exactly what the game's going to get into, but they seemed really fascinated by the ideological politics of uh, big tech money in, yeah. in Seattle and how that might map to uh, the vampire world. Right, it's like vampires are already a pretty a pretty uh, flexible but powerful metaphor for various things, like they are rich people who feed on the poor they are monsters who can't control their urges there's like a lot of readings of vampires depending on how they're deployed so i'm curious to see how they deploy it uh here you know yeah and probably it's gonna be a bunch a bunch of them like that's part of what having a bunch of different vampire clans gives you the ability to do is like you can tell different metaphorical stories with them so we'll see yeah. Game looked really pretty. It was atmospheric. You find the dude. Uh, you have the. You can persuade him. It doesn't go well. You get in combat. The combat was the roughest thing I saw. It was. Um, that's also true for the original Bloodlines. Well, uh, hopefully they they get it. Like it being out in March does worry me a little bit. Like because the combat looked really rough. But in terms of like the systems that are there, it could be cool. Uh, so I'm just. I have no idea how that's going to pan out. You win the fight, you have to make a choice about how to handle Slug. Um, slug is a, gar- like, is a trash fire, and one of the things that happened is I decided to try to sell him on the idea of, like, go hide out with the Nosferatu. And basically, I would say Slug was, like, shitty, horny golem. And so he makes this, he's like, there's nothing for me out there. And then, Thank God. And then he makes this comment, look at this face. Is this like a pussy magnet to you? And I'm snoring. Yeah. And so I asked. I was like, hey, like, you know. And to be clear. What's up with that? <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> uh, uh, no, so I, I did. And, and basically the, their position is, there's a lot of assholes in this game, and there's going to be sexist, bigoted assholes that you encounter. It should be pretty clear they are huge pieces of shit. There will be other, but they said like their approach was there should always be other characters around those moments. There should be like other characters in the world that make clear that there's a broad spectrum of like personalities, and there's not a there's not endorsement of stuff like this. That like by the standards of this is not like for instance. 
there's a version of this, and I think we saw this a lot in 90s RPGs, where, and Mitsuda talked about this, it was, there was kind of a knee-jerk, how do you prove your game was for adults? You made it edgy with swears and, uh, like, sexualization. And for a lot of reasons, that approach doesn't work anymore. Yeah, because most of the time, like, no one's reacting to those moments, right? Like, whether it's in the world, like, no one, you know, I'm playing... Final Fantasy Nine right now, uh, which has a lot of shitty moments, and like nobody really reacts. Like when you when you see those types of like weird dialogue, that's like, yeah, of yeah. course that guy's an asshole. But it's like, yeah, but no one's recognizing that. Like you're just sort of constantly being told, yeah, I suck, and like nobody <laughs> is nobody is 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 doing anything about it. Yeah. Uh, so you could have like really let slug weep on your shoulder about the you know whole being an Tinder situation yeah yeah uh and but at that point i was like like basically i was like actually choose the option that's like look do whatever the fuck you want but i need to get paid so here's how it's gonna go and uh so slug ended up running off and that like failed the mission right and so I had to go back to... You couldn't, uh, like, just chase him down and... No, that was the end of the guiding okay. quest. Okay. So go back to Camarilla, and she's like, we are extremely disappointed. <laughs> Seattle is closed to you. Uh, or something to that effect. Right. Like, basically, it was... Uh, you were kind of persona non grata as far as wow. they go. And that, And they're like, that wouldn't be the end of your game, but you just made a very powerful enemy, and that's going to, like inform a lot of what happens in the game thanks slug yeah uh okay that seems like a big change yeah obviously yeah well march is not that far away so we'll see how how it comes out that game's gonna get delayed (laughs) that game's gonna get delayed it's gonna get delayed i don't 2021 well and the thing is they weren't who's publishing Paradox. paradox 2021 Paradox has the bank for it. Paradox can delay a game till 2021. Yeah. No, I mean, they can. Right. And I'm, I'm, yeah. And if it needs it, it, they should take that time and they shouldn't try to like push to just ship something. Well, and they were also, it wasn't one of those demos where shit's breaking and they're like, oh, this is bad luck. It was very much like rolling their eyes and be like, yeah, so I got stuck on the fence again. Uh, just don't worry about it for a second. Let me just... Uh, <laughs> Go into console command. You got to be very careful fence. around around fences when you're a vampire. Fences are basically just like stakes lined up one next to another. Yeah. Man, the, <laughs> the way the game broke too is awesome. It looked like uh, the woman guiding the demo was tried to vault a fence, got stuck on the fence, but then it was like there was an invisible fence running through the level, and she couldn't dismount. And so, like somehow, there was like she was like still on the fence, but she was like somehow in an alley far away from the fence, but still like in this weird null yeah. state floating above the ground. Or maybe that's just vampirism. That vampirism maybe. right there. Speaking of creatures that go bump in the night, Natalie, you played Luigi's Mansion 2. Patrick and I got a chance three. to look at that. Or three. Sorry, 2 was called Dark Moon. Circle of the Moon. Dark Moon. That's a Castlevania game. Sorrow. <laughs> Keep going. Symphony of the Night. No, you have to only do the DS Harmony ones. of Dissonance. There's a third one, right? Circle of the Moon's GBA. Oh, right. Uh, there were two for DS. Yeah, fuck. What was the other? Ari of Sorrow and Dawn, was, was Dawn of Sorrow Dawn and of Ari Sorrow. of Sorrow. Yeah, okay. two of them. Nailed it. Yeah. Those are both like, Luigi, Luigi Mansions? Those are all Luigi Mansions. That's actually Pokemon uh, Aria and Sorrow. But what I, got, what I got from the trailer for this one is it's like 
Luigi's got to suck this place clean or something like that. Like, just... I don't know. All that gooey I feel like he's leaving a mess. <laughs> I heard Doug Bowser say suck it, so I'm having great what? E3. When did you hear Doug Bowser say suck it? Um. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure it was Doug Bowser? Because when I came up to you today at the Nintendo, oh, you shit, were like... Oh, shit. That was just Bowser. You, <laughs> you were like, I... I thought I got a video of Doug Bowser, but it wasn't him. It was just another guy that I thought was Doug Bowser. But then I actually got a video of Doug Bowser, so it was fine. Um, so, <laughs> uh, what I heard, what I heard Doug Bowser say is, it was after the, it was at the beginning of the Nintendo Treehouse, and he goes something, 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 and then he goes. And it's sucking up all the fun and then like pauses and is like, had to throw a dad joke in there and just wah, 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 wah. What? And then it changed to like Pokemon or something. So um, I got to see Luigi's Mansion 3 today. I'm a big Luigi's Mansion fan. I love watching Luigi's Mansion speedruns. Playing this game today made me really excited about the future of uh, Luigi's Mansion speedruns. <laughs> <laughs> what about playing it today made you excited about Luigi's Mansion speedruns? Um, I think mainly seeing how uh, uh, more in so the way that people speedrun Luigi's Mansion is like extremely precise um, sucking. So when I was playing the game today, <laughs> so when I was playing the game today, just how much more engaged the sucking mechanic is. <laughs> Stop. It makes me <laughs> Get some help. <laughs> makes me really excited about just how involved I'm gonna be during the sucking process and like how much attention I'm gonna have to pay to that. So basically you can slam while you suck now. <laughs> We're not, you, you don't even work for us anymore and you came to the appointment and you're gonna get us so, banned. <laughs> Like it looked to me, there was also kind of a clog situation that Luigi was dealing with. Like there was some sucking, but there's also some like. Uh, oh, there's a plunger. Yeah, yeah. so he can uh, plunge uh, stuff and uh, suck to pull the plunger, and then uh, that opens up a lot more pathways and secrets in the hotel. So basically, Luigi and uh, Peach and Mario and maybe others. Who knows? Uh, oh. Toad probably he's always there and lost and crying and I always want to go save him. So uh, they all go to a hotel. They got like Nook's getaway package, um, but the air the airline took a detour. The plane just like had to sort of crash land somewhere else, and they ended up they in this. Bus. They took a bus. They did. Did they really? Yeah. yeah. Toad was, was Toad was driving they that bus that. poorly. We only saw that because it was behind closed doors. Oh, was that not you? in the direct? It was not in the direct, and oh. then Natalie buttoned through the intro, or they didn't show her the intro. There's a very funny intro of Luigi arriving in the back of a bus with a toad driving. And, and Toad is just like hitting things. It's just how you drive. And then all of the characters, none of the characters speak. They all just have like their voice clips. Their little play. A, like Aphex. Like, right, yeah. yeah like, it's a me. Hi, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Like that. That's extremely good. Um, I wish I would have seen that. Anyway. Uh, it looks really fun. I hope the, so when I think back to the first Luigi's Mansion game, I think some of the puzzles were more difficult than the ones that in Dark Moon, like I think I kind of went through Dark Moon without really having to 
look at a space and be like, okay, what is here? What's available to me? Um, whereas the first Luigi's Mansion game, like every time I went into a room, I was like, okay, there's something hidden here. There's something to sort of like play around with. And I think just the fact that you have more verbs available to you in this Luigi's Mansion 3 uh, makes it so that there's there's more opportunity to sort of explore and find new things. Like for example, like uh, when I when I played it um, this weekend, the the plunger it can both be used at, like on, in a combat. It's like oh hey, one of the ghosts mm -hmm. is a shield, and so you plunge that, then you grab it, and that removes the shield, and you can take care of the ghost. Um, or it's like you can like grab things in the environment, like pull yeah. down a painting or like pull down a piece of wood, and that reveals like a whole new pathway beyond there. And so like the game is just like. And everything's interactable, right? Like everything has physics, everything moves, and it's up to you to kind of like fuck around with uh, what you have and see what 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 you can find. I believe the designer said, I don't know if they were necessarily guaranteeing this, but when we saw the the demo, they were saying like every room has a secret. Mm -hmm. So you're going like if you walk through a room and you didn't find anything, you probably didn't look close enough. Um, and so it's probably not every single room, but I think that's the general thrust of the game is yeah. like things are not as they appear and that your tool set suggests that you should be poking and prodding if you want to be rewarded in the way that, I mean, I guess you could just plow through that game, but like, it's really, I think meant to be like slow, methodical yeah. and like really kind of poke at the environment. Pushing over every little piece of furniture, like pulling on every, every painting, every poster. Um, I also learned today that each floor has a theme. And so as you progress through each sort of hotel floor, you're, you're, you know, have a new type of environment to kind of play around in. Um, there was one more thing. Oh yeah. You can, uh, eat Gooigi. Um, this has been confirmed. Not in the game. Do, 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 do. I'm getting a news ping. Uh, I just found out that you can eat Luigi is edible. Gooigi. Okay. Wait. <laughs> Gooigi is edible. Um, the way he was made was from something, something, and then coffee happened. Uh, Do you remember what it is? You don't remember what? I can find it. It's ghosts. What? Go Ghost juice, juice um, plus a little gelatin. And then what happened was, oh, yeah, that's. Coffee. Yeah. So what happened was Professor Egad, we all know him, he was, you know, experimenting in his lab as he does. And he was, got all this ghost juice. And then. How'd that happen? I'm not sure. What are you doing, Egad? Probably in uh, the prequel that is Luigi's Mansion 4, which is the story of Egad and his experiments. So what happened was clumsy Professor Egad, classic moment. Knocks over his coffee, and the power of coffee animates the ghost juice, and that's how you get Guiji. But why does it take the form of Luigi? Um, because here's my here's my fan canon. Please, uh, me says me <laughs> me says. <laughs> Welcome to Sesame Street. <laughs> it's the last day here at E3. We're all very tired. You, you, you ever watch a brain break down in real time? <laughs> Me thinks Guigi. Uh, so basically what I think is that Luigi, because he's the one that sucked all these ghosts, he's formed an intimate connection with each ghost. So he's he's... He's imbibed them with his vacuum, right? Basically. And so his yeah. essence is imbued in their juice. So when, you know, ghosts, 
they 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 it's like gelatin. It like it fills the mold. They is kind that of how gelatin works. Yeah. What it, this is from Ben Reeves uh, at Game Informer just mm. to clarify and give real. I'm pretty clear. Unlike Luigi. No, I got it. I think I understand. What is the goo made of? Is it like Jello? Can you eat it? You're the second person to ask <laughs> if you can eat Gooigi. It's probably like gummies, so you could eat it. The actual backstory is that Professor Egad extracted a bunch of energy out of the ghost that he captured, and then he accidentally spilled coffee on it, and that's how the goo was made. Doesn't explain the Luigi connection. Yeah, I, and, so maybe and Natalie, he, I think, is filling in the key gaps here in yes, the mythos. I think so as well. Um, you know, maybe it's a custom model for Luigi. Mm. Like, Luigi comes in, he's like, draw my goose. I think Egad left, and Luigi was left in that room, and we don't know what Luigi did. Luigi next. commissioned his goosona from Egad. Professor Egad, mm. and that's how we have Luigi. Uh, I'm ex- I really want to play it two player. It's like it's fun to, you know, uh disembody yourself from Luigi and embody Guigi and leave him, you know, sort of and just, and just fucking melt through a grate and, and go down to the floor below. Uh this Ben Reeves interview with Tanabe, who is the producer on the game, actually has a, a deeper more upsetting thing here. There's a the final question here is uh, I know we're off track, but since there is a Wario and a Waluigi, is there also a Wayoshi? Has there ever been talks in the office of making a Wayoshi? Yoshi himself is everything, so I don't know what that would be like. Maybe his eyes would be like meaner or something. Maybe he would eat stuff and then spit it out entirely whole. Or would he be like Birdo because Birdo shoots eggs from her mouth? Is Birdo Wayoshi? Maybe. Damn. The cannon. The cannon intensifies. Welcome to the cannon. <laughs> Kato? Kato, save the, cut that out and save that for... In case. In case we need it later. In the Dropbox need- folder called in case. It's called in case. Break in case. Open this Dropbox folder in case. Um. Anyway, that was Luigi's Mansion 3. We saw a couple other games while we were at Nintendo as well. We did. Uh, Patrick, you saw Link's Awakening. I saw Link's Awakening. We saw it separately, but we both Yeah, I, I only played uh like five. T- I didn't play the full demo. I, I, I just kind of screwed around with it for a couple of minutes. It's that game. I will say that frame rate is as bad as everyone has it's been. Terrible. It's It's like you were just walking through the environment and it's just chug, chug, chug. I, Nintendo tends to clean that stuff up, so I, I have every faith that it will probably be just fine. Yeah. But... The concerns that are not people just being like uh, overstating the case. Like the frame rate is like noticeably it's bad. bad. Yeah, it's such a pretty game though, and like you, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they'll get there on it. I it, we finished up early last night. I'm like, oh, no more video games. We can just go to bed. We can just like chill out. And so I watched all of the Damon X Machina live streams <laughs> from this week, and there were like three of them. Uh, and that game's frame rate is completely fixed. And also shout outs to that team because they did that prototype demo uh, for Damon X Machina earlier. But oh, the year. demo they released for like feedback, and people were like, "Yikes!" And then they they did real feedback. They, did, they took that feedback. They put out a trailer. It's like here's all the shit that we changed because. You all said to change it, and it like it's all really good stuff, like reconfigurable controls, and like previously there was a, a mission boundary on each on each mission that if you hit, you lost control of your mech, and it like sent it back in, but it was really disorienting to like be in control, and then you lose control of it. And so they made that kind of a soft barrier that like, hey, twenty seconds, you got to get back in there. Mm. So that was cool. Anyway, I don't have much to say. It looks cute. Link's I'm Awakening like I'm cool. extremely excited yeah. to play it as someone that doesn't know anything about Link's Awakening and had been told. Many times, like, well, then don't look it up. Like, just, yeah, just, just wait. I want you to play it. It's, just like, fresh. just a really interesting, depressing, sad, 
cool story. Uh, it's it is it has it's. I do feel like I do feel like some people are overstating yes. the case given when they played it it's and un- relative to expectations. Yes, it's super unique, and I, I I get where they're coming from with that stuff. But I also just think you know it's a game where like you immediately wake up in a bed and it's like is that Mario? And like no, that's not Mario. That's 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 Terran. And you go outside and like all right, but that's a fucking chain chomp, and like. No, that's not a chain chomp. That's a bow wow. Uh, that's a bow wow. That's not a chain chomp, motherfucker. That's a chain chomp. I know a chain chomp. So some shit is going on in that game. Mm. You'll get to the bottom of it one day. Um. Also, the radial blur is really interesting in that game. I'm guessing it's sort of the update to like screens, like game screens, how you move from screen to screen in the I old guess. one, but or like some way to sort of mitigate that, or maybe it's just stylistic, but it's. At first, I was like, ooh, this is cool. It's like atmospheric and like aesthetic. And then I was like, I just want to be able to see what the fuck is at the bottom of the screen. Like, what's down there? I see a blur and I want to just know what it is. Yeah. So, that's when is that out? September. Okay, pretty soon. Yeah. Not probably not going to get pushed. That's like the big September. No, thing, and, right? and usually, uh, confidence in a release date gives you an actual it has an actual like day okay and so usually like you'll get like luigi's mansion for example does not have a date um and then uh steven Tatillo at kotaku asked like what's up with that like is it delayed and they're like no we're just finalizing what that date's going to be soon my guess is october because that would be both thematically consistent and spooky and, and also it fits in with nintendo having like a fairly major game every month through the rest of the year uh sans december Let's knock out the rest of uh, Nintendo while we're here. Um, uh, we played Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. Why? Because it was there. It was there. Ah, it was that classic or, reason to play a game. There was Super one, Lucky. Super Lucky's Tale, which is out on other platforms, yeah, but it's good. People should go play Super Lucky Tale. Like okay. it's a really. It, I'm not. I don't want to overstate. Sure, but it is a like uh, really classic, beautiful. Um, Fun to find the collectible platform. It's, it's a well-made if you like that type of game. Sure. Um, and it's on uh, the Windows Store. I don't know if they ended up releasing that in Steam as well, and Xbox One. But if you like that style of game, it's one to pay attention to. Mario and Sonic was Mario and Sonic. I played as Bowser. Kato played as Sonic, obviously. And so we surfed and skateboarded, which was like, there's a skateboarding game in there that's like Tony Hawk Light, like very light, but Tony Hawk Light. We did archery, and we did... We started... Karate, but then our timer ran out, and they're like, "No more." Um, uh, it's a mini game collection. You know what the fuck it is. Like the the characters are cute, the animations are good. Bowser just super moves by spinning around because he's a big old tor- turtle shell. It was fine. Yeah, it was, and like nothing to write home about. But like, if you're desperate to see Sonic fight Bowser, those games must sell. I mean, I they did keep like making them, MMA so. takedown on Sonic. Bowser oh, fucking mm, what? The karate stuff is like there's a takedown button where you okay. like God, da, da. Where does he hit him? Like the leg, which is what you oh, gotta hit Sonic. That makes otherwise, sense. it's too fast. Right, you gotta yeah. weaken up those legs. There's a charge up move, which I don't think you charge up in real karate. <laughs> but when you're Sonic and Bowser, none of go. us do. Any of us do karate? I did when I was a kid, but I didn't get to the charge up stage. How would you charge up? Actually, I didn't do karate, but I do have a black belt in Taekwondo what and Hapkido. Those are neither of those are karate. It is a martial art, so I wanted to just say it. Do you charge up? No. Do you rise up? Yes, because you're a gamer. Ah. Usually, you bow first, then you oh, can fight. Then you rise up from the bow. We also pl- yes. Are Rob? you allowed to sucker punch when you bow? Like, is that allowed? Like, because that seems like you'd win, right? Like, bow and then kapow. 
you are not allowed to uh, spar when you're sparring in Taekwondo or Harpkido, you're not allowed to hit the head. So you're mainly aiming at torso. Um, I was young, so I don't really remember. But anyway, black belt. Uh, uh, speaking of Kapow, uh, we did play Marvel Ultimate Alliance three. Very comic book sound. So I thought that was a good segue. I hate using that sort of like I thought that was a good segue, but I'm so tired. Please allow me this one. Um, that game is busy. But that's what those games are. I played all those games. This game was busy. In like aesthetically or I couldn't find my character half the time. <laughs> yeah, and like those games are busy. Like I'm not you're yeah. right. Those games are part like, of it is just like shit on that screen I and played, just hit that button. I played all those games and it was like really rough to follow in this one. The other ones were done by Raven, right? <sighs> those are the X-Men. X-Men Ultimate Alliance and then Marvel. No, X-Men Dead. Mm, X-Men. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, the X-Men yeah. games that came out before Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Yeah, those, and those are really good games. Yeah, I Similar like style. all of them. I liked yeah. all of those games. Um, I, think, I thought Raven did two of them. Then probably the first two X-Men games. Okay. And then they did the Marvel. And then there were the Marvel ones. All of those games are, like, pretty good. I think X-Men Legends 2 is the best one. Mm. Marvel Ultimate Alliance is fine. And then Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 is like, eh. Um, there's, like, team-up moves. Uh, we, there's a, kind of a smaller roster of characters to play from. Um it was Miles Morales, which was cool. Like the stuff that's gonna be cool about this Marvel, game, like they're like right. the like the, it seems like they're really embracing both um like obscure yeah, yeah, yeah. Leg- legacy obscure characters. It's gonna get like small crowds of fans like really excited at the poll, and then also embracing like the new generation yeah. of characters. And like and all the other stuff is there. Iron Man's there, you right. know what I mean? Um, but he, but it's not like as opposed to like Marvel's Avengers, the Crystal right. Dynamics game, it's whereas that is just like it's the ones you know. Mm-hmm. And the then big- they're and then they're clearly just hiding miss marvel behind a voiceover when right. like you know what would have been like cooler just fucking show her just show her and, and be like actually our game is important because we're forwarding mm-hmm. like one of the most popular new characters in the marvel canon one of the things that's like new about ultimate alliance uh three is kind of a uh a development of, of a system that was in previous games in the past let's say you were playing with like iron man captain america uh hulk and Vision, you would get a bonus as you were playing as the Avengers, right? Mm. Um, or if you were playing as like Wolverine, Jean Grey, Cyclops, Nightcrawler. Just various team-ups. Right. This has that too, but it also has smaller versions of it. So like I was playing as Miles, our demo person was playing as Venom, and so we got like Webheads, the bonus. But Basi- like, Basically like trying to not punish players for like having one, like they can have more, more, t- more kinds right. of groupings that yes, are rewarded yeah, yeah. as a result. Yeah, exactly. What do you so, get as a, is it just like a stat it's bonus? It's like stat bonuses to like different things depending okay. on who it is. Like, oh, this is a stat bonus to strength, this is a stat mm. bonus to defense, whatever. It's like not a major thing, but like it's so cool to see that pop up. And then it's just like big screen clearing attacks. But like, I, I feel like, again, I played a lot of those games and I was never as disoriented as I was here. Um, and so we'll see. I, I don't have a lot of faith in that game, but it's Team Ninja, it's Team Ninja. Maybe I'm. Maybe it'll be a fun game to have a couple beers or whatever and like play with your friends and you know. But I've done that a lot with those games, and this didn't scratch that itch. But also, like we didn't get into the itemization. We didn't get into like what the the loot was. There is loot. There is okay. You know, you're gonna level up. Don't there was shooting the. (laughs) No, that's not what I even meant to do. Did you say shoot? I I said shoot, but I think because my brain went to schluter. But I, all I was going to say was that the shark RPG I saw also had gear. Shark RPG. Shark RPG. Man, Maneater has rarity drops. Does the shark wear gear? Yeah. Where? The, the Can evo- you see it? Yeah. It's all. It's and it says it's the uh, Maneater, which uh, was previously called Shark RPG, and now it's called Maneater. 
Um, I saw a demo this morning. They're really committing to the bit in, uh, fuck, what was the actor they've gotten to do the narration? Um, not Chris, Chris Parnell is the Archer voice actor, right? In the SNL, Chris Parnell, right? Okay. Yeah. Right? He is in both of those things. Yes. Um, he, the, the theming of the game is, uh, Dr. Spichemin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the theme of the game is that it's a reality TV show that is following the shark and they're the camera that is the player's camera is a TV camera and then they're going to edit all this stuff together later. It's just like a very vague, but like he also does voiceover for it. Anyway, they're following the evolution of this shark and you're going from baby to megalodon. And as you evolve, uh, that's not how sharks grow up. Yeah. But in this game, there is the mutagen X and that just throws everything right, for a loop. Of course. Um, and so they like, actually, my favorite X-Men uh, arc in the nine <laughs> mutagen X. And it was, it was actually like the way their presentation was structured was like really smart and also funny. Cause like they showed the, the gameplay loop and then they're like, and then we want to get into some of the systems that we can't quite show here yet. Um, and they did a PowerPoint presentation and they're like, they show like, they show baby, like large shark, like, you know, and then they get to Megalodon and they're like, and they, next time like, and then here's our loot drops. And I was just like, I'm the only one in the demo. And I'm just like, cack, like howling because it was just like a good, like yep. one, two punch. Yeah. And the way it works is like, so, uh, you, well, there are things that don't make sense. Like, you can just swap out teeth, just different types of teeth. You can have, like, metal teeth, and that's really good at ripping up ships. So maybe sure. you want to have that. Yeah, um, probably less good with nothing. Actually, I just want the metal teeth. Sure. Uh, but you get like, some sort of stat bonus for, like, attacking ships. Uh, you can have, uh, like, like electric scales on the front or, like, rock scales on the back. And, like, those just have... And it's, just, they, and it's all... Uh, it, they at- make a uh, a valiant attempt to make it seem like aesthetically makes sense for a shark. It's just anyway. Sorry, that game looks no, fun. It looks yeah. really funny. I'm, I'm excited to see Man Eater. Yeah, sometime early next year, I think. Great. We're, uh, one more Nintendo thing. We can move on. I tried waiting as long as I could for Kata to show up. He isn't here yet. Pokemon. You played Pokemon. The Pokemon game. Yeah. So wait. Okay. So when I sat down for the demo. Uh-huh. Or stood up for the demo. Uh, uh, just to be clear, I want to be transparent about how I experienced these games. I appreciate, you know what? I appreciate it. All rise for the Pokemon demo. <laughs> Rob just shaking his head. But he, but he has yeah, I'm not sure what part he's shaking his head at. E3, the clarification, uh, us, Pokemon. Patriotism. <laughs> and... Uh, so the, the the demo is set up where you're going through the, like the short maze that's going to make you go by some uh, I don't know some players and then you you're it's one of the gyms and uh, your team starts Sobble is always the one that's coming out first and I uh, turned to the woman and she was really nice like giving me like great tips on a plan I was like oh I was like this is the one that cries and she goes absolutely not and I was like no I think that's like his thing like he he like he cries and he's like no he doesn't cry and I was like. Okay, <laughs> I didn't mean to offend your... But that's his thing, he right? He cries. I know, but I think it, it's in the animation, it's not super clear that like that's happening in, in his attacks. And so me pointing this out, like I was destroying this Nintendo rep's like entire like perspective, worldview, affinity for Sobble. And so me pointing out like, yeah, this is like a... He's a fucking crybaby. Like this is his whole goddamn thing. His name is Sobble. I mean, he's... he's sh- Leave him alone. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that is his thing. And she was like, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> She's like, okay, I'm sorry. Let's pick this grass type. <laughs> um, I watched Kato play uh, that Pokemon demo and it looks like a Pokemon game. 
uh, Pokemon get big and it's cool. That part is like genuinely neat. It's fucking cool. There's like a kaiju. It's like what if kaiju had prize fights? Yeah. Um, there's a the, the coolest thing about that is like their moves change the battlefield. So I don't know if you saw this, but like yeah, so yeah, so like uh, or go ahead. No, like for instance, there was uh, someone did a rock move, mm-hmm. and that caused a sandstorm. And so the sandstorm right. was doing constant damage turn after turn. Or and uh, I had the I don't know the names of the Pokemon, but the, the one that was like the little monkey, Grookey, Grookey, and before that was Dreadnought. Thank you, thank you to Dreadnought. Dreadnought was another. What was the last one? Dreadnought. Tell me more about this one. <laughs> Have you not seen Dreadnought? No, but okay. I, like, I like what's put. Like, let tell me, me more. Let me tell you something uh, about Dreadnought. At point, I was I was forcefully <laughs> pushed away from the mic. Thank Dre- you, my my complaint has been lodged. Dreadnought is a uh, rock water type Pokemon. It looks like this. I, I have an iPad. <laughs> oh, so it'll be on? it'll be a bigger picture. It'll I be think a bigger picture. Okay, look. Here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. They're hard. They're All hard. Right. Yeah. So it looks like a turtle with big chompers on it. It's the bite. Kind, po- kind of a Gamera adjacent. Yeah. It's uh, the bite Pokemon has this big horn on the front and then some spikies on the back. Um, it is not known to evolve into or from any other Pokemon at this moment because we just read the Pokemon I have the Pokemon wiki up right now, so that's why I, I read that. But uh, um, read this part for Rob. That's the part I was looking for. So the origin. Um, the origin uh, so Dreadnought is based on an alligator. This is from the Pokemon.fandom.com. Dreadnought is based on an alligator snapping turtle. It also shares similarities to a battleship. Um, Yes. They they are all it is a bite Pokemon and I was looking for how they described it because when they first intro Dreadnought, the uh someone that was working on the game was like he is great for chomping. Um and I thought he was gonna say Pokemon, but instead he said rocks. So his whole thing, Dreadnought's whole thing is it loves to uh chomp on rocks. That's it. It's like a Flintstones world where everyone does a thing like Corviknight is like a taxi service, despite being like an eldritch horror bird. What does chomping rocks do for me? Like when, well, when I got to deal with some Pokemon. Well, if you own a quarry, it does a lot for you. Yeah, but what if I just need to like some take out this Pokemon? Some Pokemon, sorry, cause it to faint. Some <laughs> some Pokemon are made of rocks. Okay, so you just crunch them. Go ahead. So this is from the Pokemon Twitter. The sharp, jagged fangs of the bite Pokemon Dreadnought are sharp enough to in, to bite through rock and iron. So, uh, you know, Austin's right that it would be useful in a quarry. Um, Dreadnought is known to be extremely vicious, and it takes a skilled trainer to tame and handle this Pokemon. Are you up for the challenge? Rob. I mean, I think I might be. <laughs> like, Remember when you were shitting on Nintendo y- yesterday? Yeah, but that was before I knew about Dreadnought. <laughs> like, they were trying to... Look, they won't even cop to the fact that Sobble's a crybaby. Yeah. Like, they're like, what are you talking yeah. about? No, he's fine. Like, this is... He's just... Uh, you ever seen the anime? Where, like, they're, those characters aren't crying. They're just being, like, really excited. It's a sweat drop. Yeah, don't worry about it. Like, that's... This character isn't manipulative. Sobble facts from the Pokemon Twitter. One... When Sobble touches water, its body blends into its surroundings. Two, Sobble is a bit timid. 
Three, if Sable feels threatened, it will cry and cause everyone nearby to start crying as well. <laughs> so, See, so fuck off to, to whoever the Nintendo oh. treehouse. She was really nice. She had a lot. She just, I think she was just overly protective of Sable. Understandably. See, Sable thinks it'll be safe in the water <laughs> till Dreadnought comes along. It's like a battleship. Is that how the, does that actually true though? Does, is Dreadnought weak to Sable? Can Dreadnought, what's Dreadnought's type? Oh, so probably fine. Yeah, yeah Sawa can't do shit against Dreadnought. Yeah, that's wow. right. Well, with this newfound fandom on Rob's side here, I, I think we should take a break and kind of make sure that Rob is really integrated into the... How Nintendo. do you draw Dreadnought? Let's find out. Let's take yeah. a break, and you can draw your best Dreadnought, and we can, we can see what that looks like. We will be right back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we are back for our final segment in our final E3 ever. Maybe. It was bad. E3? Yeah. There's nobody there. No one was there. We were barely there. I thought for a while, so day one of E3, everyone gets in at the same time, I think. There was a lot of people there on day one. Yeah. There are different hours and there are different tiers of passes. Yes. There is, so industry and media passes are get there in all the same time. There's a gamer pass that is traditionally hours later. I mean, insignificantly, like for example, 9 a.m. or 2 p.m. Yeah, that's a big difference. You only get the afternoon as opposed to the whole day. Um, so I thought this, this morning when I went to go, uh, play Link's Awakening, I was chatting with a friend at Nintendo who, who got me in line for that stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, it seems really light. You know, I guess the, the gamers have not been, and I literally mean at that point, not even as goof, just the gamer pass. The gamer pass. Has not been let in yet. Cause that would explain why everything feels so light. And then like, of course, right. He's say that like three people walk past with the gamer pass. The and I was like, orange oh, gamer shit. pass, the like, VIP pass. Hmm. That's, there's not that many people here at all it's been this place should be overwhelmed it's been dead. and instead it's just a final fantasy 7 booth <laughs> right right there's a few key things that people are flocking to but the thing that's not flocking here is uh companies like there's so much space on the show floor so much more than there normally is um and the companies that are here it's like more merch companies than normal, more Funko Pop sellers. But even they more are like chairs. in weird parts of the floor where yeah. they're not even prioritized. No. Like I saw, um, it was not, you know, yeah, one of those uh, merch tents that's just some folks show up with some boxes and they're just going to sell the stuff that they got and they probably go to a different con every weekend and there was just no one coming by. Right. And you go to, and, and I'm not saying that, uh, but you go to a PAX, you go to a Comic-Con, yes. those things are swarmed. Like yes. it's a, the, the, uh, commercial purchasing aspect is part of 
most fan focused conventions. Like that's yeah. a thing you do there. This is not that kind of convention. And even the parts that it does have it, they shove them so far in the back that you basically would only find them if you were going to the bathroom and thinking there's nobody over there. That's going to be a short line of the bathroom. Or if you were looking for the joint special forces, esports arena tent or whatever. You mean those like three or four pallets? Those three or four pallets? They sort of stacked together and covered in camo netting. Yeah, and then invited vendors, esports vendors, to like hang out and salute the troops with racer X's and things like that. It was a weird. There were a lot of weird spaces that like we stumbled into uh, Red Pill VR, which, which had dancers, which had which had women up on stage dancing. I think reportedly in a cage. Also, there's a cage dancer, which is a classic E3 move for like people like go look up photos from E3 yes. ten years years ago. Let's say yeah, and like that was ever like booth babes as they were called colloquially were eventually banned from E3 and then developers would just and publishers or marketing teams really would find ways around that. It's like, well, what do you mean by that terminology? And then find, go right up to that line. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was, I didn't see a cage, but there Me was either. like a platform. There was, I um, just, yeah, but it was, but even that it was like, it was tacky, but it was still some sad shit. Cause it was this really empty, booth peddling god knows what and two incredibly bored women yeah like <laughs> like it it was like watching a character toggle between a long idle animation and then a brief like five second emote uh and that's kind of how get that money yeah absolutely listen i no shame get on them that at all fucking money from red pill vr mm, see just gamers get that gamer money hey like not always working for it. Just okay. Like one, one woman was just like hanging out there, like yeah, red pill VR. Just go over the demo booth and fuck off. Do we even know what that thing is? Nope. Meanwhile, the Bang Girls were putting in work. They were okay dancing. on the on the Bang stage. We had choreography. We had outfits, uh, co- costumes, synchronized costumes. That shit was high, high production bang? value. Bang is a energy drink that I just saw a report got banned in Europe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Are for so being too choreographed or? Uh, for having, I think, dangerous amounts of caffeine in it. Says Europe. Says Europe. Yeah. Reported. I think it has like three, three, time, three, three Red Bull count cans amount to yeah. one can of Bang. Look, here's the deal, though. If that is the only way I'm going to get to turn into Gooigi, then so be it. Like, let's just, let's get it done. Not even, I'm out. Red Pill VR is a technology company focused on creating the future of music through our groundbreaking interactive social experiences and content platforms that connects us all through the power of music, creativity, and art in a stunning high-end, in a, in stunning is high-end there an ab- Is there an about us that explains the name? At its core, Red Pill is a virtual reality platform that enables unparalleled social interactivity, unlimited creativity, okay, effortless distribution, and robust monetization. Stop. Music is no longer passive, social, visual, Always, spatial. This, the, we have, we're seeing the press release. Careers. Monster Wait, Energy oh. hailed a decision by the judge, judge court. <laughs> Wait, excuse me? Monster Energy what? Just read it. Monster Energy announces bang energy drinks banned in European Union. 
Monster Energy hailed a decision by a Dutch court that imposed a European Union-wide ban on the sale and promotion of Bang Energy drinks on the grounds that Bang's advertising misleads and deceives customers. The case was brought by Monster Energy's European subsidiary. The court also emphasized that so-called super creatine, which Bang claims in its U.S. drinks, is not permitted in the EU because super creatine is not authorized for use in foods. This follows action by the United Kingdom's Food Standard Agency declaring that super creatine is an unlawful food ingredient. So My Monster football coach sh- would have had every single one of us just like ingesting vats of that shit. Hold on. Among other things, the EU court ruled that Bang's marketing of drinks containing L-Arginine was quote mis- That is a Pokemon. That's the evolution the of, Arcanine. of Arcanine when you pour some Bang on him. Uh, was, quote, misleading and, uh, un- quote, unfair commercial practice. Bang toots L. Arginine. Bang what? <laughs> Back up, please. What? I feel like I was just activated. I think you said my activation. Bang toots. <laughs> Bang toots L. Arginine. Um, as a key ingredient for muscle growth, but does not declare that it only contains negligible Touts. amounts. Touts, yes. Uh, the court found that a consumer would have to drink more than 200 cans per day for a period of 45 days to receive any scientifically significant muscle growing benefit from L-Arginine. <laughs> that is just, uh, so it's just homeopathy, but caffeine mm-hmm. and creatine. Mm-hmm. I love that they got clawed to death by Monster. That's that's yeah. good shit. Just they were like, Bang comes out and they're like, we're not, we're not having this. We're not going toe to toe with these people. This mm. is unfair. Let them fight. <laughs> um, we're back for real this time. What? That's all in. But I'm just saying now we're gonna talk about video games. Oh, okay. Again. I mean, we're talking about E3. That's that's topical. The point sure. is, this could be the last E3. I, okay, let me lay out the case for why this could be the last mm. E3. I think that the show looked really rough this year. There's no um, thematic cohesion to it. Like, what is it? Right. Uh, you know, you, you have Xbox next door. You have EA a week before. You have Sony not here at all this year. You have Devolver across the street. You have a lot of reasons why uh, the, the it, it's kind of shown, like, okay, you're like, this can happen, and no one kind of bats an eye. Next year, Sony has a, a new console coming out. Microsoft has a new console coming out. Theoretically, Nintendo might have... Uh, iterations on the switch coming out those are the sorts of things that could justify different events you could have a sony event that is like get hands-on with the ps5 for three days for two days for a weekend before this holiday season microsoft could do the same thing maybe they even invite partners to come do it and it's super fan focused right like the playstation experience right so i think that's a part of it the other part of it is from talking to some people the thing that I keep hearing is that it's become more and more clear that the model that works for shows like this is the Gamescom model. And that there are people in the ESA who kind of feel that way. Again, this is like secondhand, but LA cannot fit a Gamescom model that is fully open to the public where the idea is just like get 100,000 people, 300,000 people in front of games and also support like press coming to it. For people who don't know, like Gamescom like often where it takes place are in event cities like yes. they're literally like leipzig is just like they exist for, for events like this and so you, you have to start to wonder like okay well then like does is there a world in which e3 moves to a different city does it move to vegas does it move to back to atlanta 
And if so, like, does it take me back to my roots, (laughs) Atlanta of attending E3 in Atlanta? Um, And if so, does that move sustain? Like, maybe that gives it an injection if that's a thing that happens of new energy. Why do you? uh, Yeah, it's like why do you go there versus another con? Like that's also the the other thing that has squeezed E3 is that it's 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 survived on an existing infrastructure of prioritization. E3 is similar to magazine covers. In Can you which, explain what that means? So there is still a game, game Informer still exists. Uh, it's pretty much just Game Informer, right? Game Informer is really like the last magazine cover where like Game Informer's Edge. Like, yeah, to some extent. But We're they don't about just games. PC just see Gamer. Sure, but how was the last time like a game, major game was revealed on the cover of PC Gamer? I mean, there have been some PC games announced on the cover of PC Gamer, but I don't track that as closely as yeah, I used okay, to. Yeah, okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> Anyway, look, even if you, even if you like grant all three of those, right? Like traditionally the way games were announced, um, even in even during the, the adoption of the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So actually this is, is this is illustrative. This is illustrative that the most recent cover is Planet Zoo, the wild successor to Planet Coaster. And that is not meant to drag Planet Zoo. I know people like or those PC games. Or PC Gamer. Or PC Gamer. Those are well made things. But Increasingly, even on Game Reformer, who remains like sort of like the last marquee sort of place for games to be revealed, the way games were marketed was that a, a magazine cover, like a proper glossy unveiling, was the way that you unveiled a game for the first time. And increasingly, that only happens at companies who have uh, folks in marketing who have been around this for a long time, who like the idea that, so when a game was on a cover, you know what you did? You got that magazine, you got it blown up. It was framed, and that was like a point of pride, like a piece of advertising, because that's what it was, um, about like the kickoff to this game coming out. And now there's occasionally that happens, but you, if you go through the history of like, if you go look at the covers of Game Informer over the last like three years, you will notice occasionally they have like a big thing, but by and large, like th- we're moving away from that. And yeah. so I think E3 is the convention equivalent of that in which companies have found that it's actually easier to go directly to consumers to sidestep like folks like ourselves, any, any other media outlet um, or to, or to do their own thing. Right. And, and that E3 continues an institution just because of legacy, less because it makes like complete sense for how you actually want to pitch people on whatever the fuck you have. Uh, Like EA play is closer to what the model actually is. Um, I don't know if they can do a game as common because that's a fundamental rethinking. Yeah. Um, a PAX thing is even hard because you need a place that can support everything around PAX. So yes. you, when you walk around E3, this is true the last couple of years when they've done the gamer stuff, um, there's nothing to do if you don't want to stand in line. At PAX, there are things to do all night. You could spend, you could stay up all night with your friends, play tabletop games, go to uh, go go rent a, a Super Nintendo and yep. fuck around. Like there's just a thousand things to do that are like, PAX recognizes that you are pro- it's a destination. People are coming together that don't meet each other in real life very often. And this is a place for you to like indulge in all the, the, the hobbies that you talk about over the internet and do them in real life with one another. E3 doesn't have that. E3 is just stand in line for Borderlands 3. See a theater presentation that you could see. There was a moment where you and I, towards the end of today, we're in the press room, just catching a break. And they were displaying on uh, one of the, the E3 Coliseum stuff. Mm-hmm. And they showed the uh, Outer Worlds uh, demo in which you go, that's the same fucking demo I saw. Which is like exactly the exact, like, yeah. exact same demo. 
Um, which is just to say, like, if you which like cool, I'm yes, fine with yes. That. I think that I think I like that. But you, you, but why if you were, I if you were a fa- less you as much as like a fan who stood in line to see that. That's what I mean. Yeah, could yeah. have just then watched that on Twitch, right? The exact same way because the fan isn't getting a 20 minute interview afterwards, right? And frankly, a lot of press isn't either. You know what I mean? Like there are limited slots for those sorts of interviews. You talked to the Monster Hunter devs today. I bet there are people in the press who would have killed to have a Monster Hunter interview who just like, well, the slots filled up too quick. Sorry. And for them, it's like, well, okay. Like, I guess I love, would love to have hands on, but like barring that, like theater demos, like the cyberpunk one that we saw, or like the, the, uh, the dying light one that y'all saw, those will be up at Gamescom. Those it's already up. Like I saw someone tweet earlier today with a dying light one. It was like, if you were disappointed the Dying Light wasn't at a press conference, like, check out these 15 minutes. So there may be a truncated version of what sure. we saw, but, but it's basically it what we saw. Yeah, totally. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the future of E3 is. I'm, I'm not convinced it looks like the thing it's looked like for the last 20 years. Like, how long has it been? Well, I guess not kind of set the Santa Monica year. Like, which well, you have to remember, of, like, yeah, so like E3, then, E3 came out of CES. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it's like E3 in some form has been going for... Even for, longer. You know, like, starting with the... I don't know if the, the NES. Yeah, no, starting with the NES. Like, the NES was at, was at, was at CES. CES. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, it also feels, though, like everyone is... Ha- There's a collective action problem happening, which is that there is... <laughs> Stop there, Rob. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, okay, so... I know what you mean. So, like, a number of companies have effectively defected from E3. But not really, right? It is still useful to have one big tentpole event that brings a lot of media into the same area, a lot of, like, attention to the industry at the same time. Yeah. But, like, the EA solution is, oh, we're not at E3. We're across town at this place we rented out. And even this year... In E3, just behind closed doors. I played, e, I played Star Wars at E3. I didn't go across town. They just don't have a booth anymore. Right. And so I, I feel like to an extent, there's a lot of companies who are like, boy, we can't wait to be done with E3 and do our own thing. But boy, they sure do seem intent on taking advantage of the fact that everyone's in this place and all this tension is there at one location. And some of these initiatives we've seen, like EA Play... They've had multiple years to like do their own thing and yeah. demonstrate that it can be like a really attention grabbing, fun fan experience. I'm not sure that case has been that effectively made. And so I'm I like I have no doubt that Microsoft, Sony would all love the idea of we're gonna do our own show and it's gonna be we it's going to be our party and our friends are going to come over and it's about us. Well, and this is where my thought is. If you're EA, you go, Oh, I I would love to come to the Microsoft Fan Fest. The, the Xbox 7, Scarlet, whatever, looks fantastic. But it's just like, oh, travel, you know? If you could, like, spot me some like, gas money, uh, Microsoft, maybe we'll be able to make it. And then Sony is like, oh, we'll, def- we'll cover your gas money for sure, EA. You should come over here, actually. I could imagine a world in which those two events end up being the platform holders plus their selected partners building kind of like a more clo- a closer relationship between those third parties and those major platform holders. I, but, you know, we are 100% spitballing here. This is not really based on anything except experience and, and like a little bit of in, in, in a kind of conversation we've heard. I can, just, I can just easily see a situation where the platform holders have done their own thing. And so we have like a big PlayStation experience. Yeah. Uh, there's... Uh, a Dynamax St- PlayStation experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and and then Microsoft has their own thing, and after a year of that, everyone's kind of like, what if we did all these, we do one weekend, you do the next, the events kind of overlap, and we just happen to be in the same city, 
with that you know yeah like i would not be surprised isn't it coincidental it worked out like that they fall backwards into reinventing yes totally totally if e3 didn't exist we would we invent it right we need to invent it um back to video games what else did we all play played uh an hour of control the new remedy game that comes out in you know what go for it okay real quick i also played this okay okay i want to hear what patrick says sure I'm, I'm giving my microphone to Rob. Rob is, went to reach for it. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm going to do the gracious thing and hand it over to him. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to hand over the microphone now to Rob Zachney over here across the table from me. He's reaching for it again. If he stops reaching, I'll hand it to him. <laughs> They're back. Okay. So Control. Control. Uh, one, I love the premise. It is set in a place called the oldest house, which is just a good name for a place. Um, they've been sort of cagey about what that means, but essentially it's a paranormal supernatural agency that like an offset of the FBI, CAA, some sort of place that like, ah, shit, the world's kind of fucked up and it's got stuff with like imbued with power. We should like have someone that deals with that. And the thing I... I love that setup, but I was curious, was like, well, what are they going to do with that other than just like, you know, just put you in some rooms that like look weird and like stuff shakes off the walls. Well, what I enjoy is that actually, you're, it seems like the game's going to let you dive into the bureaucracy of the oldest house. What do you hey, do? let's have some respect for control here. Uh, Kate is a pirate. I, I know it is, but you can talk about that after. So, like, for example, I go into the game and uh, I walk into a, uh, a, like, hey, you need to figure out, like, we got to, like, lift this. Uh, Curse? No, well, yes, but lockdown. We got to get to some other sectors. And, well, how do you do that? Well, we got to turn on these, like, different, like, power th- things. And so you go and talk to, like, the engineer. And there's people, like, walking around, like, doing this. You're, you're picking up the collectibles in the game are, like, largely, like, notes about like how frustrating it is to like request things like paper and other things it's just there's a the world building that is happening uh around the it's oldest cabin house. in the woods yeah like you're, you're yeah in this facility and like your workplace is just the nexus of all evil and weirdness yeah and like, like it has like it is both a game that is trying to treat that seriously in the sense that like it's not uh it, it's it's not i wouldn't use ghostbusters as like the tone, but it's like closer to that than like a horror game in which it's like, yeah, like this stuff is kind of spooky, but also like, geez, like oh, what a fucking pain in the ass it is that like this children's horse uh, is imbued with like a demon spirit. Like what a pain in the ass. Um, and so that's kind of like the attitude of the game. And I love the fact that as I'm going around, I am encountering actual people. It's not just me going into uh, a haunted house. It is a haunted house, but also like there are people that like, this is their office, like they work in day to day and like they have problems. Like for example, one of the first NPCs you find is a janitor. He's like, could you just like take care of some shit for me? So what's different about this relative to other Remedy games is there are missions. Yeah. And you find, you find missions both by talking to NPCs. You also find missions by picking up collectibles. So like you'll pick up a collectible that's related to 
like said uh, spooky horse that you would find in the kids' room, and it's like actually can like can you go track that down on the map? And you pull up a map, and there's like a map that has like a huge sprawling area that you can poke around in and explore. And I this game also has loot. It also has like uh, a fairly robust upgrade system for like your weapons and like specific attributes of those weapons and assigning upgrades to those weapons. And it's just it's a strange game for Emily, but also like feels very tonally a lot of what they've done. Yeah, so the thing that... Because they've tried to make the original pitch for Alan Wake ages ago. was that The open be, world Alan yeah, Wake. Yeah, that it would be open world. And you you saw traces of this in the final game, yeah. right? Like weird driving sequences that popped up, but like they were kind of out there on their own. But they've never... Like in the end, when I think of Remedy, I tend to think of deeply linear uh, mission structures that have like sort of beat by beat progression as there's the, you know, the establishing sequence and then there's a little bit of spookiness and then sort of a, a mid-mission turn and then finally confrontation with the, you know, with the real boss or right. the real terror of the mission. That's kind of Remedy's MO. I don't. I would even say it didn't change that much with Control. Uh, not no. Control. Uh, oh, uh, Quantum, uh, Break. Quantum Break, yeah. Yeah, and so I am curious, like, is the idea here that there's, like, that there are places in the last house that are kind of your hub locations where you're going to be talking to, yeah. like, so, people. Yeah, so, like, this is, like, go gonna... out some, like, is it, like, you go out to a mission area and then you enter like a short linear, like almost the Destiny model, where it's like go over here, walk down this corridor, but now it's like themed about it's the evil horse has taken over this. this yeah, that seems to be like so. Like the the area I was in seemed like the an early hub in the game in which you talk to this engineer, and then you talk to the people around there. You're going to get a bunch of missions, then spoke you off to like all these different areas you're going off to. Uh, I will say, um, the the linearity that dominated their previous titles allowed them to put a lot of polish and care and attention into like every one of those scenes, right? Like it was, there was a level of detail that you saw in Remedy games that was very appreciable. This, you don't, you lose some of that. There are moments where it's like that, but it, but it's, you know, often you are kind of going through a generic hallway X, generic hallway Y, because by virtue of like having to expand the map, they had to lose some of that detail in the process. So will that be made up for in missions that are interesting and funny and scary? Um, and you won't notice the fact that like you're in a bland warehouse. Um, and maybe there are other environments that aren't just the bland warehouse part. I don't know. Um, but I mean, this is like the other thing of when I th- like this is why I like remedy games is that they all generally have a distinctive style, a distinctive voice. Like I'm a fan, like I will defend Alan Wake. I like that game. I don't think you a need lot. to. That that game is that game is great. Yeah, that game is cool. It's goofy, but it is also genuinely eerie in places. And then there's the, the trademark uh, remedy meta weirdness. But all their games tend to have this mix of really loving like genre tribute. Yes, and then also kind of a meta textual goofiness about their own games. Sometimes I wish Remedy were better about resisting the urge to yeah. make a joke, but I think maybe they resisted it too effectively in Quantum Break. So I don't know. Where Quantum Break would... itself felt like a joke in a way that was not necessarily the intention. Yeah, so I'm curious if in this one, like, so Alan Wake is, they really like Stephen King and Twin Peaks. Yep. Uh, Max Payne is, they really like... Uh, Death Wish style, like cop on the edge movies and uh, John Woo movies, and that's that's the Max Payne series. Uh, what is the hook? What is, like what is the tonal hook for this one? If you had to, if you had to like 
pigeonhole it. You, you mentioned Ghostbusters, but that's kind of a buddy movie. Yeah, this one seems. I a can't little remember. More I can't remember what they said. Yeah, I because um, it's kind of a case structure. Um, yeah, we can we can wrap up here in a second. Um, it, it's uh, I believe I want to say, and I may be misremembering this, that last year it was sort of like. David Lynch meets X-Files, in which you have sort of a procedural, and there's an emphasis on eeriness, strangeness, yeah. uh, unexpectedness, um, but you're doing so on sort of like a case-by-case basis. And so, yeah, I, I, some of the, I played the, the demo at PAX, uh, PAX East, East. Uh, and it, it looked bad. Was it, it a different demo than this one? I don't know. I think it's just more polished. The game yeah. comes out in August, you know, yeah, three, three months of time, does a lot for stuff like that. Um, it just didn't look very fun to grab objects, throw them, and shoot. And, and that's, now it's that's, pretty that's, fun. That's, yeah. It seems fun enough. And um, the atmosphere, the like the mythology they're setting up just sounds fucking cool as hell. Did and you go back and deliver? Did you go back? To, did you do the janitor side quest and then go back yes. to him? No, I didn't. I ran out of time. So they, they, did they tell you to go back to him? When we did our demo, they were like, make sure you, listen, maybe you want to check back in with that janitor. No. And I did it and I went back and it was like, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm good. And that was it. There was nothing new. Oh. So hopefully. It's not like the janitor. Is, so this like creepy looking janitor is a guy who's going to give you like a bunch of like. We like so like the quest. The first up. quest you do is with like, hey, go clean up the trash, yeah. and it's like you use your fucking force powers to like lift up some radioactive waste and throw it into like a giant. God, the first time I fire. did that mission, the so you know you throw them. Mm-hmm. The first one of mine landed on top of the incinerator. Yeah, and I, I glitched mine. I glitched mine and had to just move on from the mission. You have to die. If you die, it, it resets the them, or if you like fast yeah. travel, right. Uh, one of the things. So Austin, I remember a couple months ago we saw a trailer, a teaser that caught our attention because it said the word brutalism but also mm-hmm. it was trying to sell this idea of the last house is this like eerie space like genuinely yeah. it feels both like an old office building but also like something uh eldritch and 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 weird does any of that come through in this demo does it does it feel strange? i didn't get i, I mean it is. It is. I will say that the the strange areas felt fairly distinct. Like there, I got a new ability, and they put me through like a like a white room with like floating. Oh, and you get the dash. And you get the dash. Yeah, floating things to jump on. And that felt fairly distinct from like the big boiler room, where you fight a bunch of enemies that show up. But it does whatever. feel. Uh, and this is maybe slightly reductive, but I will say it feels like a low budget remedy game. I feel yes. like the. Um, because the artistry, I think, is so connected to a lot of what defines like a lot of Remedy games. And not that there isn't a distinct style, but it also feels like the style in which it's like kind of bland rooms um, is maybe not just a stylistic choice, but a compromise choice based on... I mean, it's being published by 505 Games. Yeah. They are a smaller publisher. Um, this is, in a, is not a Microsoft or a Sony, but I do... I did sometimes feel like, oh, they're being constrained by what they can literally accomplish based on the resources they have yeah. to do it. And maybe the the writing will pick up the slack on that. Maybe there is, they're, they're saving that for later. Um, but I did, th- there was a blandness to the environments that I found a little disappointing as someone that usually expects a little bit more from the studio. Be, that, be, that being like one of their sort of flare points. It's uh, out in August, which is not that far away. So yeah, I'm, I'm, da- like, I'm yeah, at that like, point now. Again, where I'm like, like the I don't world, really see anything. Else. The world is so fucking cool and interesting that I, I, I just want to see more yeah. of like what they're what they built in that degree. I, I, my one big note that was like, 
I really hope that they tighten this stuff up or address it was pacing in certain dialogue, certain... They showed us, like, a cutscene that was just two characters speaking to each other to try to, like, set up some more of the story. And it was... It felt like Kingdom Hearts. They also in, do... Oh, so they do a weird thing. I'm not sure if this was present. It must have been, but it's probably the same demo, um, in which they constantly reference to an inner monologue yeah. that the main character is having, where the camera cuts to, like, a really tight shot of their face, and then she says what she's thinking about yeah. the situation. But... You're absolutely right that this game has like a pregnant pause problem where it's just like a line hits and it's just like a second or half a, half second, a second too, too long, long between like cut back to that other character. Yep. yep. It's as if there's only two microphones for four people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it is like that. <laughs> we love for they real. nearly concussed each we, other. That was almost it for E3 2019. <laughs> our, our foreheads were this close. But then we would have mind linked and become more powerful than yeah. we could ever imagine. Um, yeah. Great. The only thing I have left here, I, I have a couple of things left. None of us saw Hollow Knight, but I watched that. that uh, I, I had a, a friend at Nintendo who was like, can I just, I know you can't get me in to play it, but like, can I just watch it so I don't yeah. cause a fire hazard? I couldn't notice anything meaningfully different. There's it, some, so I watched the thing this morning. Oh, the, Natalie uh, put her hand up. Go ahead, Natalie. I see the microphone. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you you're put Ms. your Hollow hand Knight. up. That means you get it. I'm Miss Hollow Knight? Wow. Yeah. I guess I am the only one who beat the final, final true boss. True. Um, which makes me close. a true gamer. Yeah. Uh, so what I did notice about Hollow Knight or Silk Song that seemed different is the fact that it seems more mechanical than um, than the past iteration of Hollow Knight. In the like sense, in terms of just the combat systems or? Uh, the world itself looks very mechanical and oh. there's also so I was watching a bit of it today and there's also a um, system in which when so in the traditional Hollow Knights you you know when you go to the save spots you regain all your health and like all your well mm, you can mm, never mind okay so what just I don't know what just happened well there's something that you can do in the game that changes what happens when you sit in the save spots. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, so in this game, you also have to pay like a small amount. It was like 12 coins or whatever to re to restore the amount of ammo you have for your like needle throws. So she has tools, which is something that yeah, Knight she, didn't have. Right. She has tools. And I think like sub weapons. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like they're sub weapons. Also, there were more, things on the HUD, like in your sort of upper left-hand corner where typically you had your soul meter and just your health, there's two, there's your ammo um, um, amount, like how much you have for your needle throws. And then there was one other thing that looked like a battery um, that I'm not sure what that was. That was a spool because she's Silk Song, right? Or whatever, or Silk, is that what it's called, Silk Song? So she gets thread instead of getting like soul juice or whatever. And she can spend a little bit of it to do a like quick dash attack or like whatever. Uh, I think it was a quick dash attack. And then she can spend like a full like reel of, of a full spool of thread to heal. And the other big difference is she heals instantly. Like there is no charge heal. In Hollow Knight, it takes a while for the knight to, to heal. In, in Silk Song, uh, Hornet is her name, right? Is like boom, heal all the way up. 
super quick, which to me suggests that they might ask you, ask a lot of you if they're letting you heal that quickly. So is that, well, then in the top left corner, like what was, what used to be the sole sort of uh, container, what is that now? So I think, so we only saw what they showed in Treehouse. My suspicion is that the, they're both the same. The, the, it's like the spool and then also there's the, the kind of bar that shows you like how much. My guess is once you have the spool filled, that's enough to do the heal. Um, but the bar is like, maybe the bar can grow. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure, but that's it, the, uh, the, what we saw today made it look like they were the same thing. And so hard to say if there was like a, an actual difference. Um, and so the combat just seemed, seemed like it wasn't, I mean, you have like ranged combat is more of a thing. You're, uh, you're, there's a lot more spacing in between the, the knight or in this case, Hornet and, the enemy that she's attacking. So you're not, at, it's not as much like get in, get out. It's much more engaged and it's like you're, you know, I don't know. It's not like where you're getting hits where you can get them. It's like you are kind of opening up opportunities for yourself. So I'm really excited for the, that game. That's another coming soon um, that we don't have a date on. So who knows when that game comes out, but I'm really excited to to finally play it one day. One day. Um, My guess is summer next year. I actually wouldn't be... That's probably right. I would, I would uh, weirdly line up with... Or not weirdly, but coincidentally line up with how they handled Hollow Knight last year, which was to say, and Hollow Knight is out today. Yeah, so, I, I, wonder, I wonder if it's like a surprise drop, like... I guess next year, like I was talking to Austin earlier and I was like, this looks like very developed. Like it looked like they stopped the tree, like at the end of the treehouse segment, it looked like they stopped because there was more they could do, but they couldn't show it. So when I was watching, it, I was like, this looks more ready than I thought it was going to be. Um, but Austin, what you're talking about, you know, this sort of vertical slice. Yeah, it's like hard to know. Like, or did they just polish up these one, this like one and a half areas? My guess is, given how similar in a lot of ways this yeah. is, it actually is just a, it's just it's, an area it's, they polished. It's bigger than the last game, and it's or that it is just one area that's yeah, polished. I yeah, think exactly. so. Yeah, that's my guess. Uh, my guess is like I mean, they've said it's like as big or bigger than the last game, and also it just looks better. Like the, there's so much more detail to the locations we saw. Uh, in that footage today. So, I don't know. I, that game was great. I'm going to play this one. I'm, gonna, I'm excited to play it when it launches so that I think that the zeitgeist will be able to carry me through it in a way that it couldn't when I came after people on PC had already played it. And, and after, you know, I kind of just lost my momentum with it. Last thing, Patrick, the thing you were most excited for. Oh, thing, yes. This is it, right? No one else has anything else they're sitting on. Oh, you saw Cyberpunk. Do right. You, a, what do you think What do you think? Of what Cyberpunk? did you think of that demo? I was dismayed by how little it moved me. Mm. Uh, like to the point where you had said this is where it starts turning into a game and yeah. it feels a little more like concretized and it's a real thing you're going to interact with. Even that undersold how much of a game it like. It looks mortal in a way. That's I was not literally expecting. the thing I said, Rob. I, we left it and I said that that game looks mortal, like one hundred percent where I was. Which is such a difference to, I remember when you guys came out of the cyberpunk demo last year and like you guys tried to sneak me in and there was zero opportunity because you were like, this is like the next generation totally. of video games. Like this is a new 
thing. Like this is just something else. And to hear you guys come back this time around and be like, yeah, it's a video game yeah. is like such a 180 from where we were last year. And not a particularly sharp looking one is the frustrating thing. There's a, there's a few things that like raised flags. For instance, the church in Pacifica, that's clearly an important environment, but it's also one that had a lot of care and attention lavished mm-hmm. on it. But like the, the surface streets, when you're out in the world, it looked really flat. Mm-hmm. And the thing that occurred to me is I'm watching it and I think about like Velen in The Witcher 3. Yep. Like Witcher 3 is about is about Poland, Ukraine and like the, that countryside. It, yeah. is, it is a game yeah. of a place that like artists know well. It exists a lot in like lore. This feels like a, a tribute band for mm-hmm. like that's the, like the aesthetic feels like that of a tribute band or cover cover band where they don't have the same connection to the subject and so everything feels like an echo of something else but pacifica doesn't evoke much of anything i found myself thinking i found myself thinking a lot about like blade runner 2049 and uh-huh. like wistfully of it for how it both is recognizably of a piece with Blade Runner, but also is doing its own thing. It's yeah. extrapolated other aesthetics out of that setting. Here, I just didn't get a sense of that. For, I think me, there's one shot that works for me in that way, and it is the wide shot of the unfinished hotel with a gunship yes. just blazing yes. into Patrick the side and I of talked this, about this. This, this. like So again, Pacifica's whole thing is it's a luxury community resort town. And it is, uh, it is, it is, has been left to rot basically. Um, and there's this one moment you come out of that church and you're kind of, it's being described to you. And there was just this, like floating gunship. And people are just talking while this gunship yeah. just wails on this building and like firing, firing into a penthouse, basically, an unfinished penthouse. Right. It's very Judge Dread is the way yeah. it feels. And also the scene opens with like people just opening fire on a drone and the drone just kind of. You can't actually scare it off. It just kind of flies off. Yeah, Yeah, people are like, it's like a big, annoying, like, housefly. But that's such a different, distinct thing. That is, here's a brief set piece. Yes. Not, here is what what Velen or Novigrad felt like in Witcher 3, which, like, here is a real place that has a sense of life and and that feels, like you said, lovingly crafted based on a sort of relation to real things. And then... Again, because like The Witcher 3 always felt to me like a game that existed first in Polish, right? A game that existed first in another language. There were felt It always felt to me like there were a lot of convincing... Ki- like, mind you, I played it in Polish. That voice acting could have been shit too. I wouldn't have known it. But I also didn't like encounter my beefs with the English language voice acting right. as much. Here, very little of the voice acting worked for me that was in English. Right. So, funny, I ran into... Uh, to Khalif from Spawn on Me the other day, and he actually watched that demo with someone who was of Haitian descent and who knows Creole, and they like loved all the the Creole in it and said like that was all pitch perfect. I didn't need to look at the the subtitles to understand any of it. Those Very were all cool. native speakers or people who who spoke it uh, with fluency such that even I was convinced by it. And like that was a you know in a week where where CD Projekt Red. <laughs> Has, has made me doubtful about their commitment to diversity in a real way and like that they understand the issues that they're playing with. That's one small light that it feels like if they've convinced a native Haitian speaker or a native Creole speaker that like um, that, that that is uh, a, a real feeling place, thank, thankfully they've invested at least here in this one thing, you know? So. Um, but in terms of the other characters that like who spoke English... None of them felt like Witcher was full of like convincing dirtbags, more or less, is, is how it felt like 
every village like had at least one person that was like, ah, oh, this fucking guy. Here, everyone felt very much like a very standard RPG character, right? Oh, this is crime boss. Oh, this is henchman. This is mini boss. None of them, like, none of it felt convincing, including Keanu Reeves. See, I like Keanu in this a lot, actually. That totally, he totally worked for me in this. To me, he totally sounded like some old school, like, uh, you hired celebrity talent for your FMV game, but you did not, like, voice direct them effectively, and so their line readings do not feel like, like they're in the scene. See, I I think that there was, I think that there was a, uh, for me, I agree with that the, the feeling of him not being in the scene is there. Maybe that felt papered over for me because of him literally not being in the physical scene, the physical space. Um, but there are small things that he does with his voice that makes him feel so dismissive of the player character, so above them, um, and that they are like a that you, the player, are a um, a means to an end for him. That that stuff did work for me. Also, I I read today that he has the second most dialogue in this game after the protagonist. So he is like the secondary protagonist. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll but, see. Yeah. I just I want more. Architecture and aesthetic that doesn't look like yeah. uh, metallic garbage. Yeah, like totally. you, you know, concrete and tin—that's what everything's <laughs> made out of. Right. And, right. 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 Uh, the and this is a weird aside. I also felt weird about the fact that like the characters of like Haitian descent, when their stuff is translated to English, you get subtitles for what they're saying. It's all like he and there, and it's all very uh-huh. like. Uh, th becomes d it's, yeah. all, it's all very like you're doing the phonetic uh, and spelling, not just the but right. not of like anglo characters mm-hmm. and to me i've always felt like well like for instance back when i wrote fiction i tried to write detective fiction and as many young writers do <laughs> i dropped a battery and it made a lot of noise i don't know where it went it's gone bye thanks for stopping by yeah and as many young writers do, I tried to write beyond my knowledge and yeah. understanding. And I would like write characters and scenes and I'd sit back and I'd read it and I'm like, hmm. yo, this feels weird and a little racist. I just don't, I have no ear for like how different at, like uh, elements of black culture talk. I don't have the ear for it. Like, cause I didn't grow up to it. Mm-hmm. I don't like uh, consume some of that media. I just don't have it. And the solution is find someone who does. But mm-hmm. I think more importantly, the thing that a lot of people get wrong about this is when you're making a point of like indicating someone has an accent that is other, but then there is a presumed default and you're not also like putting the apostrophe when people are dropping G's or like when you're not doing phonetic spelling of different, like, you know, Anglo accents, right? right. then it's a little bit of a tell. It's not like Keanu Reeves is speaking the Queens. You know what I mean? It just sat a little bit weirdly with me where it's like, Yo, they're Haitian. No, that is 100% the effect that they're going for, is, is like, this is a Haitian community, and you're not from here. Like, what if, what if I want to be from here? What if I am from here? What if- and your character even goes like, oh, yeah, who are they? Right, yeah, And totally. I'm like, whoa, like, yep. What is that? A, is that just what my character's going to say every time? Even if you've made a character who's black. Right. I, again, that's a place where I'm curious, like, is that a situation where the street kid background changes that relationship, even on non-marked things? Or... That, would, that seems unlikely. Uh, the one the one reason I think it could be is like that character was literally the corporate asshole character. And like if they're writing that, which for me, again, goes back to like, I don't want to play a game that is like enabling me to be a racist. I don't want that to be in the cards. It doesn't, there's nothing gained for me by that. So I don't know. Mortal. Mortal. Deep. It bleeds. That game bleeds. 
like I, I I came out of. Like, I, I say that except I could also show you tweets from like lots of other super mainstream critics. Who like that was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Weird. I like midway through it, I was thinking about it and I was like, if a Polish games genie emerged from a lamp and was like, you have your choice between these two games you can play today: Techland's Dying Light <laughs> or Cyberpunk. Based on what I saw this week, I'd be like, give me that dying light. Let me go run around these rooftops. Cyberpunk, I was like, I'll see you next year? Well, it'll be out, theoretically. Yeah. We'll see. So that is the, the biggest thing for me is like, that game looks like they decided to ship it. Like That was a game that feels like they were like 2020, not well, there, 2020. Well, there, there have been uh, incredible uh, murmurings that game was at one point aiming to ship before the end of 2019. Um, which, but what I, what I'm, I say that to, uh, I think it's credible that game will ship then in April because I think there was a shift to this game needs to ship. Like, for example, the, the interview you and I had with a quest designer or, or, you know, who was brought in to essentially act as a management role Mm -hmm. to like ensure cohesion of the quests, both from a logical standpoint and from a narrative standpoint, uh, those are the sorts of things you do when you have a lot of things in place to like start saying, okay, this is the game, like start building in from there instead of building out. And so I could have get delayed again, sure, but I April's such a weird month to pick. Um, although I don't know how like quarterlies work at like <laughs> at their company because CD Projekt Red I think is public um, out there. Um, I, I think that game does ship in April, and I'm I'm curious. We'll see. Yeah. Last thing. Sure, Patrick, you were so excited. I was. I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't look up the gameplay that they released. Oh, did they release more gameplay? So the, yeah, so Blair Witch. Or Blair Witch. Is uh, it just called Blair Witch? Blair Witch, which is what the uh, sequel movie was called two years ago. Um, I forgot that existed. I forgot from, that Yeah, existed. Adam Winger. It's okay. Um, I think it has a, a really cool... It, it has a very intense, unbelievable scene at the end, and the rest of it's not that great. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so I, I don't want to spoil this. Like, I, this is like, I don't want to know. I just want to play the game, when it's, especially because it's so close. It's the end of August. So it's like, I just, just give me the game. So, but, you know, I'm not going to tell the fucking PR person, like, hey, like, you know, I'm trying to go into this. Well, you're not going to pull that shit with me right now. Like, I'm, like, I've been waiting to hear what you thought of this game. And you're not going to be like, Rob, I decided not to spoil myself. Uh, I'm going to keep myself pure for this experience. Uh, so that's Blair Witch, everybody. Happy E3. You pull that shit. Like, no, but I didn't. So they didn't show that they didn't show it to me at the thing either. So I was like, cool, I'm good. I don't like I just said I sat down. They had a TV. The thing the email I got said first 10 minutes, you're going to talk to or you're going to watch the presentation and then you can talk to them for 20 minutes. But I think they thought they rightly so assumed that like I was part of the reason they like booked me was like, Oh, you seem so excited about the game. Come talk to the developers. So then they just watched that presentation part thinking like, you already watched that shit, which I didn't. Instead, I just got 30 minutes with the developers, which was fine. Uh, I found out very quickly, like I went in, I was looking at the Blair Witch Mythos, like I was reminding myself on Ellie Kedward, Rustin Parr. I was getting getting the characters in my head. I was like, I was ready for that discussion. And in reality, I should have been ready for like some folks that, are not necessarily as steeped in the Blair Witch mythos as myself. Like, super shocking. Um, they didn't watch the movie when it came out. Like, they came to it later. And I was... So anyway, Patrick is consulting now on the Blair Witch. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like in my interview might have been, like, a good pitch. Congratulations. For like some, thank you, thank you. Um, and, you know, I think what's... It, 
what I, my takeaway from the conversation with developers, which I wish I could write up, but I didn't realize that the voice memos app just stops if someone calls you and just stops recording. Like I didn't realize that's what it does. I thought I'd just pick it up and go from there. It does not do that. Um, and so I got like a, I got like a spam call five minutes in. And then I, when I left the appointment, it was like, that interview was five minutes. I was like, no, it wasn't. So thanks, spam call from wherever saying that my social security number has been attacked. Oh, I got that one today too. Yeah. Congratulations, everyone. Was it just 30 minutes though of you like asking leading questions about the lore and watching them not get it? No, I did that. I did that to start. Basically, I wanted to like establish a baseline of like, you know, often when you do interviews, you're trying to get a sense of like, what do they want to talk about? Like what angles can you go down? And you have like a set of questions you have in your head, but you want to generally lead the conversation where it goes. That's opposed to like 14 year old Patrick when he, the first time he came to E3, I had printouts and I would just read from the printouts because I was 14. I was like, I'm interviewing some designer on some Konami game that I somehow tricked my way into. And it's like, and I would just, because they didn't know I was 14. So why would they book, they would not have booked this appointment if they knew I was 14. And I would just sit there with my Microsoft Word printouts and just go from question to question to question until I got through my list. Hello, I am Patrick Klepek. <laughs> Number one, is this game fun? Number two, can I jump? Number three, is there scary? Number four. Can you buy me beer? Number five. Can you get my friend some cigarettes? Number six. Can you take me back to my hotel? Number seven. Can you buy me a bus ticket? This is dark. Wait, what happened here? <laughs> My Patrick, dad just left yeah, me. My dad left him at E3. <laughs> Can you be my dad? Number, yeah, number nine. Can you be my new dad? Oh. Miyamoto-san? <laughs> why is Miyamoto, why is Miyamoto making a new Blair Witch game? Amazing. Well, come on. If you were abandoned by your father at E3, like, who would you trust? Like, who's going to adopt Mr. you? Mr. Miyamoto. Cliffy? No. No. It's Is gonna Cliffy be here? Mother. Cliffy's doing theater now. Opera. Not opera. Musical theater. Town. <laughs> That's true. Wait, what? You didn't... You He's been, an investor in Hades Town. It's like a big thing. This is what Cliff's new thing is. I hear that musical is actually all right. I hear it's great. And he's having the time of his life. <laughs> so, congrats to Cliffy B. And on that note, <laughs> we are done here at E3 2019. The last E3, time will tell. Mm. I'm also. Oh, I will say one other thing I did was I had a really good interview with the Monster Hunter World team. Oh, yeah. You um, are... I, I, I'm going to actually literally just transcribe it. I'll give you cool. one example of why it was a fascinating conversation. They had a great sense of humor and also gave like Japanese game developer interviews are really tough because often it's difficult to tell whether the answers you're getting are being watered down through the translation or they're just being very protective. It's like just often very difficult to know, to get an effective interview, yeah. especially if you don't have a rapport with the developer. Um, but so I closed and they were, you know, Pierre, I was like, oh, one last like quick question. And I was like, okay. And this is after I'd already known that like I'd had a good back and forth with the developers and they were, they were really charming. Like, so I looked at the monster list, no spiders. Thus, I can only conclude you were afraid of spiders. And so it gets translated, they laugh. <laughs> And they're like, we are not afraid of spiders. And then there's like a beat. And then the 
one of the uh, producers says, explains, he's like, so it's like how we make these games is that um, you would think that like, oh, each individual like skeletal model is different. It's like, no, like often the reason you're seeing lots of ones that look like dinosaurs or lizards and the reason it kind of seems like maybe there's like a base model is because there is like these games are so expensive to make that we have to have sort of like classes of creatures that we are then building around. And he's like, if we were to make a spider, that is a hyper-specific type of creature. All those legs, they would be creepy. It would be really neat to see that run around the environment. But what other monster do we make from that model? Bugs. A big spider. <laughs> uh, hydra, what is it called? What? Something max. A walking octopus. A Dynamax spider. A walking octopus. A robot spider. I can do this all day. Yeah. But their point was taken in that there's a limited range of possibilities. A mutated squid. <laughs> I literally was about to say squid. It's mutated because it only has eight legs. What, ju- what if you just took a four-legged creature, took the rigging for the same model, turned it sideways, mm. and just like, look, would it look weird? Yeah. But wouldn't it also put it in the uncanny valley Ooh. that made it somehow more monstrous right, right. and summoned you to the hunt? Right. An upside-down spider. And it went like, don't make those noises. Don't watch out. I'm now consulting on Monster Hunter World. (laughs) Specifically the spider. The spider. uh, The spider uh, consultant. uh Uh-huh. All new spiders. That's it. And so they gave that answer in the end said, we'll consider it for future expansions. So when you're afraid in Monster Hunter World 2 of the giant spider, yeah, you can, fault. yeah, you can, you can blame me. They just gave a lot of really interesting, like, and I won't get, give the answer, but like, think of something. The answer I just gave you, which is like a really interesting, thoughtful explanation of like how they arrive at a decision. I asked them how they design monsters, and they went through like their whole process of like how they arrive at like a monster being in a world, and it's like a really fascinating journey for how they actually get there. First, I confront my fears, <laughs> then I realize them, and that's it. Yeah. Genetics also. Dino DNA. So why do you think those people couldn't leave that forest? How many people are going to be staring in the corners in this game? Like, it's pretty scary, right? <laughs> like, we say, like, four, four, five. Four corners? How many corners like, are there? Like, maybe, like, eight people you find that way? How way? is the leaf rustling tech? Can you just, like, shoot the Blair Witch? Oh, wait. I've never seen the Blair Witch Project. No spoilers. That's not a spoiler. She's not even in the movie. Well, that's a spoiler. What? That's not. A, that's fine. a spoiler. Who is she? Well, oh Kelly, my God, Kelly Edward was you know in like Salem witch trials. You know she was. They thought her to be a witch in in the uh, in the act of killing her. They. This is the whole thing. Rustin Parr was also a child murderer. Yeah. Rustin Parr. Rustin Parr made Rustin Parr made the children stand in the corner while he killed the other children. Rustin Parsons. Blair Witch. I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> Rustin Parsons, Blair Get Witch. It? Like rest in pieces. Okay, rest in pieces. Rustin Rustin Parsons. Is that where that name comes from? Who? I don't. What if that's where it comes from? What if it was like rest in peace and they like fucked around with it until it said Rustin rust Parsons? You can go read at Giant Bomb. I interviewed Eduardo Sanchez, one of the co-directors of Blair Witch Project, as part of uh, feature I did years ago. He was he was he was a delight. Speaking of Giant Bomb, we have to end this podcast because we have to eat dinner before we go to the Giant Bomb couch for the final day we're on with some fantastic people, but including Natalie. By the time you hear 
uh, this, my guess is we'll have already recorded that. And so you can go watch that. And you can also go check out Rob's other uh, endeavors. Shift F1, you did some behind-the-scenes content. Is Danny okay? Uh, he seems to be doing better. But then again, we did feed him an off-brand energy drink the other night. Not Bang. Bang. Something else. DDP. Uh, and I haven't heard from him since then. But okay. I presume he's fine. I presume. Okay. I try not to presume the, the like... It's probably fine. Okay. Thank Why you worry? to everyone who joined us this week. Did Nicole Clark. Yeah, it's so fucking funny. Did you see this, Natalie? Kato, did you see this? It's a person <laughs> drinking a big gulp yep. that says, Waypoints <laughs> five hour uh, E3 podcasts, and then me. <laughs> That's us. Thank you to Patrick, to Rob, to Natalie, to Kato, to Danica for driving us around and also being like the team mom. It really helped. Uh, shout outs Ice to. Ice cream. Ice cream. Shout outs to Nicole Clark. Shout outs to Dante Douglas. Shout outs to Joel Fowler, who came through very briefly mm-hmm. to talk a little bit. He has yes, first day at work today. That's true. Today. Well, Joel. Good luck to Joel. We are to start on a Friday, on Thursday. Well, first day in the office. Oh, He's been right, right, right. He's been remote. Yes. Okay. Um, am I forgetting anybody? And if so, I'm sorry. I don't think I am. You, the gamer. You're right. Shout outs to you, the gamer. Thank you for joining us. Why are us. you looking at me? Because I know. Thank you to Gamer Santa for playing the music in the background for us. Please, Ganta. That's who's underneath Hyrule Castle. Oh. It's Ganta. That's Ganta. <laughs> that's, that's him. All right, everybody. On that note, we are going to be done. I'm going to pick up this handheld voice recorder. I'm going to hit the stop button, and then we're going to disappear. I'd have just walked out of that forest, is all I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. Pick, pick, the pick fuck a direction, out. Pick a direction and, and go. Just pick a direction do that and go. At some point. And it's then, America. And that's You'll how the movie hit, ends, uh, Mc, right? McDonald's. You hit an interstate at some point. At some point. You follow it. Which... When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Talk first time. Ha, ha, ha. Talk second time. Upon being attacked. Upon being attacked and made hostile. Upon being made... I guess I should just save this. Uh, Upon being made hostile, approaching them anew. I'm recording. Upon, Upon dying. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. That's it. How much does this book cost? I bought it from Fangamer, I think, pretty recently. Um, this looks incredible. Let me see. What's I'm, the not, I'm not even into the lore, but I like having books that just have that shit. While you Dark take a souls. shit, look at this shit. No. Also, you, hey, know what, hey, 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 you know what just occurred to me is that tasteful, like, demi-nude up there. She's wearing Mario's hat. <laughs>
That's not what that's that is. Pauline. <laughs> that's Pauline. That's so bad. Delete this. I put that on the end. No, don't. Just delete. Nobody it. even knows what the art looks like. It's Pauline. <laughs> I know, but no one has context for what that means. That either better or worse. I don't know. Ready? Yeah. 